Turn with me again over to Mark chapter 9. I want to begin talking to you tonight about the seven processes of transformation. And I'll explain that here in, in just a moment. But I want to remind you, when you read the story of the transfiguration, it's not just about what Jesus really looks like, but it's what you and I are becoming. And after six days, in verse 2 of chapter 9 of Mark, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up on a high mountain where they were all alone. And there he was transfigured or transformed before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus, Peter. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them. And a voice came from the cloud, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with him except Jesus. They uh, literally speak, of course, of fulfillment. Jesus, fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Aren't you glad that you have in front of you today the Word of God? Amen. Amen. Yes. Uh, made more certain. Uh, you don't have to have anybody in between you and the Lord. Uh, the Lord is our mediator between the Lord and our Father. And uh, we can learn, we can develop. You know, there are a lot of traditions, religious traditions, that tell you that uh, you can't rightly interpret and divide scriptures. You can't understand them. And that's a bold-faced lie to keep people in bondage to religion. Because if we don't have you reading the Word of God, then you're liable to receive anything. And uh, make no mistake about it, the enemy is out to deceive like never before. So uh, be on your guard and realize that uh, the Lord is trying to do a work inside of you and a work through you, and He's transforming you. So my God is changing me every day in every way. And I want to bring something to your attention tonight scripturally because when you, we talk about these processes, spiritual processes, we often talk about them or think about them or hear about them as if they were punctuated and I can check that off the box and move on with my life. And in reality, there will be a day when the processes are completed, but you and I won't see that day on this earth. Someone will complete the process. You will be fully transformed. One day you will be like the one that's read about in this story. You will be dazzling white. Amen. You will be made pure and holy, complete, sanctified in every way. You will have arrived. Look at somebody and say, you haven't arrived yet. Well, that's okay as long as you're actively in the process. So if we think about transformation, if we're not careful, we think about this big umbrella, I'm being transformed. But how are you being transformed? What are the mechanisms? What are the spiritual processes involved with you and I being transformed? And how much are you actively participating in those processes? You know, how much are you agreeing with those? How much are you actually believing for what those processes will produce in your life? So we're not going to obviously settle this all tonight, but I want to just sow this seed into your heart and get you to pray about this. Remember in 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18, this time I'm going to read it to you for the message Whenever, though, they turn to face God as Moses did, God removes the veil, and there they are face to face. They suddenly recognize that God is a living personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. And when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old constricting legislation is recognized as obsolete. We're free of it, all of us. Nothing between us and God. Our faces shining with the brightness of His face, and so we are transfigured, much like the Messiah, our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like Him. 
It's coming a day when that process is complete, but you and I should be engaged in the process here and now. And so to help you understand that, to preach the word, how many of you have been in this long enough to know that faith comes by hearing? Uh-huh. And hearing by the word. Yes. You, you can't appropriate faith towards something you have never heard. And a lot of people wonder why they can't grow in the things of God. Well, you can't hear, let me put it this way. You just can't hear about one process 50 years and grow and transform. And that'll make more sense to you in just a moment when I give you these processes. But you have to be actually actively believing for them and putting your faith you know, in line to see what these things will do in your lives, not just the day that you get saved, but throughout your life on this earth. And you know, the one that is perfect will perfect all of this concerning you. In the meantime, you have to know some things. And if you grew up like me, you weren't even taught about the new birth, let alone all of these other processes. Maybe a little bit of religion here, some sacraments there, but that was about it. And so we were kind of out there lost, and you know, 10 minute homily didn't do you much good. Uh, let me tell you something you need to be able to receive more than your butt can handle. <laughs> the behind needs to get sore from time to time. You think, well, there's no, there's no purpose in that. No, it's not about being cute. It's not about entertaining you. Are you here today? It's not about impressing you. It's not about you know, some, some fake natural carnal celebration. It's about you being perfected in his image. And that takes some discipline. That takes some time. That takes some effort. It's going to take more than a 10-minute homily in a church service. Can I have a better amen? amen. Because this is supposed to be the Overcomers Club. Where when I say, I'm going to preach long, you say, give it to me, sock it to me, sock it to me, sock it to me. Not, oh, Jesus, why did I come tonight? (laughs) That's not an excuse to keep you beyond what the Lord, I believe, is sharing with you. But um, let me just go further into this. There are seven spiritual processes that facilitate our transformation into the likeness of Christ. These are ones I'm going to highlight. I could go into a little more detail about some other things that I think are, are tied to these. But um, if you engage them from the point of faith and you're consistently believing God for what they can produce in your life, you're going to change. You're going to be transformed. Um, you know, the, uh, the seriousness with which you approach these things is going to determine how much you get out of them. You just can't be a bump on a log at a church service and expect to be transformed as much as God wants you to be transformed. You have to have an act of faith. And to that act of faith, you actually have to add works or effort towards that. You have to expose yourself to the things that produce grace, the means of grace. You have to expose yourself and be serious about this. I'm telling you, God is looking for some sober, serious Christians that he can use and raise up in these last days. They're not satisfied with religion, including Pentecostal, charismatic, or word of faith religion. Can I have a better amen than that? Amen. It's not just the high church, the low church, the evangelical church, you know, the ecclesiastical church that has religion. If you're not careful, you can get sucked into, you know, a, a, an existence far below what God has wanted you to be. Amen. amen. And uh, don't you listen to people who would criticize the direction you're going. Just let it go in one ear and out the other. Amen. Say it with me, one ear, one ear. and out the other. I learned this from Brother Coven back in Chattanooga years ago when he was telling a story about, oh, don't you care about what they're writing about you in the newspaper? Don't you care what they're saying, you know, in the broadcast? Don't you care about the books they're writing? He goes, well, I don't read them. He goes, listen, you know, you're going to take that newspaper, so he's going to read that, and then tomorrow morning it's going to be at the bottom of a cage. And he said, I think the birds have the right idea. Amen. And that's what it's worth. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. You don't even give ear to it. You just keep on doing what God's calling you 
to do, but make sure your ear is inclined in the right direction. Now, there are two components of these processes. After I give these to you, we'll go over that. But write these down so you can meditate on these, so you can study these, so you can look these up, so you can become proficient, not just when I get to preaching about them in the year of transformation, but so you can actually receive revelation as the Holy Spirit teaches you. How I many you know the same Holy Spirit dropping stuff in my spirit is the same teacher you have? That's the difference about the day we live in. It's not, you know, we have a robe on, we know it all, and you know nothing. It's that we're all members of the body of Christ, and we have the same Holy Spirit as the teacher. The pastor is not the true teacher of the church. The Holy Spirit is the true teacher of the church, and we are just his vessels. It's what he is saying to you tonight that really matters from his word. Does that make sense? So the first one is, of course, salvation. We know it is the new birth. You might call it conversion, but I want you to stick to that word salvation or in the Greek soteria. It is a process. Unfortunately, too many times it's presented as an end result itself. I'm saved and I'm done. You're only saved if you're enjoying every dimension of soteria that that word implies. If you're forgiven, that's great, but you are not fully walking in your salvation just because you're forgiven. And that's what I meant earlier when I said, you cannot hear the salvation message every Sunday for 50 years and be transformed. Do you need it? Yes, because you're going nowhere without this particular process. But we see it as a punctuated event, right? How many of y'all remember when you did get saved? That's fine, but that was only the first step. Listen to what I'm saying to you. It is important you understand this process, not just an event. The second one is justification. Justification. Number three is adoption. It's hard for me to contain myself when I think about the fact that he's adopted me into his family with full rights and privileges. He's my daddy, and according to what Paul said, that's where I get my name from. And since my name is changed to his, and amen, I've been adopted. I have all rights of an heir. I can hardly contain myself. Well, I'm just saved and going to heaven. Praise the Lord. I'm forgiven. Great, but uh, you know what? There's a whole lot more to that. Justification, then adoption, then sanctification. Again, not just a one-time event. After sanctification, impartation, salvation, justification, adoption, sanctification, impartation, then redemption. I am going to pump you so full of word on classic redemption, you're going to go home and glow at night. You're going to get it. And you're not going to apologize for it. And I'll tell you why. Because a high price was paid for you to have it. The blood of Jesus was shed for you to enjoy every benefit of every process. It was his idea. And redemption is not about him being redeemed. It's about you being redeemed through him. But again, it is not a punctuated one-time thing and done. It's a process. And the last one we spent a little bit of time on was glorification. 
I'm asking God for even more revelation on glorification. So you understand that each of these processes, you know, does something in your Christian life. And just to help you out here, it's not like tag team. I do one, then two, then three, then four, and then I'm done. No, they should all be going on, you know, simultaneously in your life on a loop. Come on, say it with me, on a loop, over and over again. So every time you pass by it again, you're just, you're growing a little bit more, you're developing a little bit more, you're receiving the benefits of that a little bit more. It's very important you understand that, that this is not just for some one person or a few people or a special people in a certain camp. These are the things that Jesus Christ has provided for you and for me as modes of, tra of transformation processes, and they come with great benefits and Paul gives us lots of revelation about this, but ultimately it's God's idea for you and for me to walk in these things, to become someone who conforms to the image of Christ in his nature. Say his nature. Come on, say his character, his power, his beliefs, his purpose, his priorities. And if all I do is preach about how you can get to heaven, I have not only handicapped you, you understand that? I've kept you from helping other people walk these processes out as well. We have millions of Christians all over this country, and they're saved. Thank God they are. I mean, how many glad the people are going to heaven? But that was not supposed to be the catch-all. It was a starting point for people. Does that make sense? There are two components of these processes, and I want you to write this down so you can, again, be meditating on this. One is the instantaneous component. There is a day that I gave my life to Christ, and I remember. It was around June 3rd, 1982, and I was baptized in the Holy Ghost the same night. I was religious. I'd been to youth conventions. I was confirmed to Lutheran. I was sprinkled as an infant. I went through all those processes, you know, to be a good little church member, but I was never born again. I never personally repented of my sin until that time. I never knew him personally. was never serious about the things of God, so I can't remember that. But I can tell you this, uh, I had not arrived the next morning when I got up. Uh, more than a few rough edges. Now, there were some things instantaneously I, I noticed because the baptism, of course, is, is part of this process. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I hadn't arrived. I knew nothing about really the Scripture. When I opened up the Bible to the 1 Corinthians 12, I was shocked that it was in there. And my second thing was, well, why didn't the leadership in the church tell me about these things? That was a mistake. Mm -hmm. me, me praying to God, asking God why the pastors didn't teach me about 1 Corinthians 12. Because immediately the Lord shot back at me, when did that church that you're complaining about give you that Bible? Uh -huh. Well, 1982, about 13 years before, and never even cracked it open. Amen. That's how God feels about us biting each other and criticizing each other and putting each other down. He's going to turn the tables on and say, you know what? You need to focus on you. And Dr. Barkley recently said, you know, uh, he said, I noticed that everybody that criticizes me or his ministry, they've never done a single thing for God. Look for some fruit before you let somebody in your ears. <laughs> ministry fruit, fruit of the Spirit. Not just because, you know, they became suddenly, you know, the world's greatest critic of the church or his people. That's not what it's all about. I mean, think about how the tendency is there. You know, I wasn't fully 
you know, uh, you know, sanctified at that point because my first instinct was to blame somebody else for my spiritual condition. Does that sound like spirit or sound like flesh to you? That was definitely flesh. That was my first instinct was to criticize the church and the minister. Did you hear what I said? My first instinct the next day I was saved was to criticize the church and the minister. And yet it was that very church that laid the foundation for where I am right now. I promise you this, that God built on that foundation and it needed to be there. Come to find out my, my pastor was a spirit-filled Lutheran. He counseled people operating the gifts. He cast out devils. My five-year-old foster brother was a demon-possessed kid. And I don't mean he was a behavior disorder. I, you know, we need you to stop using those labels. Some of these kids are demon-possessed. And you can drug them till the cows come home, but they're not going to have any solution because they need to deal with this thing spiritually. And he saw that. I mean, as a kid that was a ward of the state, he had access to the, the finest in child psychiatry, psychologists, you name the program, you name the experts. He had, he had full reign of everything Illinois had to offer, and nothing was working. They, my parents took him to this Lutheran pastor who happened to have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost at a revival that happened at the Lutheran Seminary in Concordia. <laughs> and they were told, you can practice these things, you can talk about them privately, but you can never espouse them publicly from the pulpit. That was the order that came down from the Synod. <laughs> and uh, Reverend Beatty took him in his office, and he just kind of held him and talked to him, and immediately that kid began to manifest. I know what that kid was capable of. He had conversations with the devil. He would try to burn the house down at night. My mom put bells on his shoes just so she would know where he was at any given time. This kid was demonized. This kid had strength of somebody five times his age, if you understand what I'm saying to you. Bizarre. And um, he got a hold of that kid and he manifested. Well, that was a mistake to manifest in the office of a spirit-filled man of God. When that kid came out of the office, he was completely 100% delivered. How'd he get that way? Everybody say, thank God for the Holy Ghost. So be careful here that in, in talking about this stuff, your eyes and your ears don't go to what somebody else is doing or what they said to you or how this worked out or you're here in the place you are right now because of somebody else. No, this, this, this teaching demands you take responsibility for your own spirituality. I'm going to try that again. You take responsibility for where you are. And if you'll take it seriously, I believe God will meet you. So the first thing is that um, there's an instantaneous component. There is an instantaneous component to justification. Immediately, in his eyes, it's just as if you never sinned. Are you hearing me? In his eyes. And he gives you the gift of righteousness, which is tied to the concept of justification. But how many know that just because he declared us righteous doesn't mean that his religious people always believe him? <laughs> yeah. Or walk in this. They continue to see themselves as a weak worm of the dust and some horrible person. I would never want to say that I'm righteous. When you understand he took your sin and gave you his righteousness, then there's no reason for you to, to say anything other than what the Word of God says. Say it with me. I am, I am the, righteousness the righteousness of God, of God in, Christ Jesus. in Christ Jesus. So my point is I'm saved, but I'm not arrived. Yeah. If I'm not walking in every dimension of salvation or wholeness or soundness, 
then I don't need to say, well, I'm forgiven and going to heaven. I, I should not put pressure, you know, on the word. I should not believe God. I shouldn't keep growing. Yeah, you should. You should lay hold of everything he died to provide for you. Amen. And only that's going to happen is for you to engage the processes that lead to transformation. Justification is the same way. It's not that God has to redo the justification. That you and I have to grow in our revelation and then apply that. For example, the Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. If you and I are wimps, it's because we're lacking a revelation of what? Righteousness. Somewhere deep on the inside of us, we're unworthy. I'm not worthy to pray for that person, you know, at Walmart. I'm not worthy to say that word. I'm not worthy for God to use me in a spiritual gift during a service. I'm not, I'm not worthy. Deep on the inside of you is what I'm talking about. Yes, he made you righteous. In his eyes, you're righteous, but in your flesh, in your everyday life, you may say, no, 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 I'm not that. And I tell you, years ago, Brother Copeland wrote a song about he is the righteousness of God, and Christian stations wouldn't play it. How dare he claim he's righteous? Read Paul and you find out that you, in fact, are. Why would they say that? Because they confuse righteousness with holiness. They're not the same thing. Say it with me. Righteousness. Um, it's one of the greatest revelations you'll ever have. But even sitting here tonight, you and I you know, could go further in our understanding about what he actually gave us. He understands it, but his people need to understand it more. So, yes, there came a point in time where you were justified. The day you got saved, you were justified, and yet it's not just it's not just punctuated, it's also progressive in its application. Say it with me, it's instantaneous. It's instantaneous. The second thing that you need to know about these uh, these processes is they are also progressive or continual. They're ongoing. Say it with me, instantaneous, instantaneous. And, and progressive. progressive. Uh, the one we understand about uh, this the most. In, in, in our circles particularly. How many of you sinned ever after you got saved? Raise your hand if you ever sinned after you got saved. Bunch of heathen. The, the fact that, uh, that you did proves you're not fully sanctified. Say it with me, sanctified. Set apart from sin. Set apart unto God for His purposes. If uh, you were in charge of uh, the temple system, you know, the tabernacle system, you know, as the church was on the move back in those days and you were in charge of those vessels, those vessels could be used for just anything? No. What about the, uh, the Babylonian king who thought he'd have a party with the holy vessels? <laughs> and what happened? <laughs> no, they were what? Set apart for a holy purpose. Now, here's the bottom line. The day you got born again, you were sanctified. Sanctified by the blood, by the word, by the Holy Spirit. You're sanctified by the Father. Lots of sanctifying forces in Scripture, but you had not arrived. So it's in, say it with me, it's instantaneous, and it's progressive. Unfortunately, sanctification seems to be the only process where we've emphasized the nature of it being progressive as well as instantaneous. And that's just not true. My salvation was instantaneous, but I'm not done yet. My justification was instantaneous, but my revelation could be greater than it is right now. Amen. On justification, on this. And I can tell you something else. If you understand justification for yourself, it's high time you start treating other people like you understood it. Amen. If he looks at me as if I've never sinned, then that's the way you have to look at other people. That's right. Well, I don't. 
You have no idea what they said, what they did, how they handled that situation, how they stabbed me in the back. Getting stabbed in the back is part of the human experience. But if, if you fully understand, if you're growing in the process of, of justification, then you will start to look at somebody else as if they never did anything to you. Not that you can't remember it, but you are intentionally treating them as if they never did anything to you. Ah, that's just, that's just, that's what I'm, that's my point. You grew enough to apply justification to you. But you have to grow enough to apply justification to everybody else. And to be perfectly honest with you, it's no fun when you're the one getting nailed. Now, Pastor, can I just camp down at personal justification for a while longer? How much longer are you going to camp there? How many years has it been? You, you take somebody who's walking around in bitterness and unforgiveness. What they really have is a justification process problem. Anything you're applying to yourself, but you're not appropriating to other people, you have a lack of process growth in that area. I believe it. I am justified, just as if I never sinned. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I now have the ability to stand before a holy God without a sense of shame, regret, amen, intimidation, or anything like that, because my God has, has made me holy. He has sanctified me. My God has justified me. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. I am now righteous. Can I tell you something? So is the other Christian that you stay mad at. Yeah. That's right. They're just as righteous as you. Somebody has grown in the process of justification. This is just an example. Hope you all brought your seatbelts for the next several weeks. Good. Someone who's grown in the process of justification, they absolutely will ascribe to another believer righteousness. Mm -hmm. yes. That person that you won't forgive, they're righteous. Right. That person you keep talking ugly about, they're righteous. Yes, they're that person that did you dirty, guess what? They're not righteous, so they wouldn't have done that. You're missing the point. They are righteous. The problem is not with God's provision of righteousness. The problem is our level of growth and development in these processes. Mm. Pastor, you're making my head hurt. <laughs> no, I'm not going for your head. I'm going a little bit deeper than your head. Come on, say it. Not my head. I'm looking for revelation, not something just to get into here. So my salvation is instantaneous, but it's also progressive and continual. My justification is instantaneous, but it's also progressive and continual. Do you see this? Are you still here today? We'll go back to a couple of these just by way of illustration tonight. I was adopted the day I was born again. But you'd be amazed how many believers, you could be even here tonight, you still don't really see yourself as part of the family. Oh, I know that uh, many in this room have taught on the orphan spirit. When you fail to grow in the process of adoption, it's one thing for a judge to sign that order. It's another thing for you to live as though you are. At least you'd be like a Mephibosheth when the king brings you back to the table. You walk around saying, I'm just an old dog. What do you want with me? Apparently, if the king brings you to the table, you're not an old dog. Amen. That's right. When was I adopted? June 3rd, 1982. 
When do I start acting like I'm adopted into the kingdom of God? God only knows. It's up to me in terms of that process. But when I start looking at, I have a name, I have a father, I have a daddy God, Abba, Father, amen. I have every provision. And if David's table was great, what is Heavenly Father's table like for you and for me? I need to what? I need to understand that my adoption was instantaneous. How many times does the judge need to sign the order? It's official. Amen. Say it's official. But is the one who is adopted still running around feeling and acting like an orphan? That's the question. Amen. Say it with me. Instantaneous and progressive. My sanctification, as I said before, when was I sanctified? When was I set apart? The day I got born again. But if you and I, if we committed any sin after that experience, it's proof that it's not over just because you got born again. How many of you are not as big a sinner as you used to be? Amen. I mean, I mean practical. I'm not talking about positionally here. I'm talking about you are the righteousness of God. That is settled forever in heaven. But in terms of your actual conduct, your thought life, your attitude, how you treat people, your interactions, are they, are they godly? Are they, are they spirit-led? Are they, are they you know, punctuated by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc.? Well, thank God we've improved. Amen. Now, some of y'all used to cuss like sailors. You don't anymore. Some of y'all like to party, you know, until you fall down drunk. You don't do it anymore. Amen. Some of you used to be great, you know, world-class manipulators, but you don't practice that witchcraft anymore. You know, things have changed. You used to be mean and hard and tough and rough, but that's not you anymore. Amen. What happened? He's working on you. Sanctification is instantaneous, but it's also progressive. Say that with me. Sanctification. Setting me apart from sin and this world and setting me apart unto. Sanctification has a bi-directional effect here. Amen. Away from sin and towards Him. Amen. For His what? For His purpose, for His use. Um, if you had any good doctrinal training as an evangelical, you probably understood that. What the Spirit of God is saying is it just can't be applied to the process of sanctification. We need to be moving forward in every one of these processes. This shouldn't come as a surprise to you. Um, impartation should be instantaneous and progressive. What do I mean? I mean, every person here should be born again, but also baptized in the Holy Spirit. And do with power from on high. But if you thought that it was a one-time deal, and maybe you spoke in tongues a little bit at the time you got baptized, but you neither walk the Spirit for life and you don't use the gift that God gave you, you understand there's more to this. There are dimensions of living in the Spirit-filled life. It was never designed to be one time. In fact, when Paul talked about this in Ephesians, he said, be being filled. It is supposed to be something where you are constantly being filled. Sing psalms, hymns, and melodies. Amen. Making what? You know, you're actually stirring this thing up. You know, Paul told Timothy, fan into flame the gift that was given to you through what? Well, Paul, you laid hands on me. It's done. Why should I have to do anything? 
All I know is Jude 20 says, Beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. The Amplified says, rising higher and higher like an edifice. Someone laying hands on you and you're receiving the impartation and receiving the baptism, that doesn't mean you're done. And I am telling you, there are legions of people who are technically Pentecostal in their faith. They've received the Holy Ghost, but they've done nothing with it for decades because that's all the teaching they had. They weren't taught it was instantaneous when they received it, but it was also progressive in revelation and practice. Yeah. I'm going to say progressive in revelation, in revelation. and practice. practice. There are levels out there we have yet to get to. Mm-hmm. Right. But you know what God is saying to us as a church? We're going to get there. Amen. Say, I'm getting there. I'm enjoying every process along the way. My redemption? When was I redeemed? Technically, he set it in motion when he died upon that cross. But I had to personally respond to his act of grace. Amen. In repentance. And I was redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. By the spotless blood of the Lamb. But you and I would have to be absolutely out of our minds to think that on the day we got saved, we started walking fully in our redemption. What does that mean? We'll get into this in detail, but you and I were redeemed from the curse. Yes. Classic redemption, write this down, means there were three parts of the curse that affected your life because of sin. And because of the redemption, you were instantly redeemed but its application to your life and acquisition in your life is progressive, not just on the day you're born again, but you should want to be completely free of the curse or blocking the curse from creeping back into your life. There are a lot of people with a lot of goofy ideas about this. Well, you know, I'm just, I'm born again, so therefore I'm free from this. And they walk in total defeat and don't understand why. My people, the Bible says, are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Whose job is it to make sure that you at least have access to that knowledge? The fivefold ministry gift. We should have been preaching every one of these dimensions, not as steps or realities, but as processes. Are you here tonight? Process of impartation and the process of redemption. Redemption in the classic sense involves this. The results of the curse are always threefold. One is spiritual death. And how many know that you and I were in spiritual death when he found us? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But now he's made us alive in Christ. Aren't you glad for that? That's where a lot of people stop right there. Mm -hmm. The second dimension of the curse is sickness and disease. The third dimension of that curse is poverty. Sooner or later, you've got to get it through your thick religious brain that right. poverty is not a blessing. No, it's not. It is a curse. Amen. And if you are walking in the fullness of everything that the Word of God promises you, basically, as, as a redeemed person, uh, you're, you're, you've come from death to life. Praise the Lord. You're redeemed. Amen. You're, you're in God's camp. Your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's great. But you should also be walking and seeing his redemption in every dimension of your life, mentally, physically, emotionally, in your relationships, in your career, in your finances. Why? Because the Holy Spirit and the Word of God make no distinction in your compartments or dimensions of your life. The gospel affects every part of your life. There are people that teach and believe that the only thing you get is forgiveness and your name in heaven. That's it. You're going to heaven. Well, guess what? That's not what the Word teaches. 
That is the apex, but that is not all that is provided through his blood. And all we have to do is read the word of God to find out what's included in that blood. Say it with me. Classic redemption. Spiritual death. Sickness and disease. Poverty. Well, if I'm walking in the fullness of that redemption, not just instantaneous, that puts me in position to receive, but progressive over time, I'm going to see what? I'm going to have abundant life and life to the full. Amen. Until it overflows. My spiritual life is going to just bubble over, not just touch me. It's going to touch other people. Amen. Aren't you glad for life? Come on, say he came that I might have life. Well, this attitude, well, I'm saved and going to heaven one day when I die, that does not mean that person is living the abundant life. No, not at all. And you say, what about the, the concept of, of sickness and disease? There is, through the Word of God, the provision of divine healing. Yes, there is. Amen. And if you haven't lived long enough where you're going to need it, you just haven't lived long enough. There is a limitation to what man can do even in the late day that we live in but God knows it all. Yes, he does. I say God knows it all. He has the ability to supernaturally heal. Yes. And as a person in the process of redemption, if you find yourself with some kind of a sickness or disease, from a headache to an incurable, mm-hmm. you need to press in for the full process of that redemption and walk in everything he's given you so you can live out your days, say it with me, length of days, and strength of days. Well, Pastor, everybody's going to die anyway. What's the point? The point is God has you for a reason. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. The point is you're not here by accident. Well, I don't matter to anybody. Apparently you do. You wouldn't be here. Right. So why would I appropriate my redemption on this earth? Why don't I just sail on to heaven one day where everything will be perfect? Because no one in heaven gets to participate in the redemptive process on earth. No one. Right. Once you're out of here, you can't affect anybody else's life for change. You can't witness. You can't pray for anybody. You can't get them healed. You can't get them delivered. You can't encourage them. You're on the other side. Amen? And it's a wonderful place to be, but you don't want to go without fulfilling what you're called to do in this earth. A step above divine uh, healing is divine health. Well, you are sustained in health. The Lord showed me a long time ago, that most Christians live in this state and never even stop and give God credit and praise for it. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. It never crosses their mind until there's an issue in their body that they have been walking in the power of God to sustain them in this earth. With all the pathogens, and COVID wasn't the first one, won't be the last. Nope. All, the do- all the bullets you've dodged, all the stupid people that are out there, You better believe in divine health. Amen. But my point is, most most Christians who scoff at this, God doesn't care about that, live a healthy life and never stop to think that God's the one that made it that way. I think you ought to praise God for the fact that you have health. Amen. He has not only given you healing, He has caused you to live in divine health and punctuated many times where you weren't healthy, but overall the span of your life, you've been blessed with health. But that's not full redemption either. You know what full redemption is? This is where God is calling you. Yeah, divine healing when you need it, divine health that you praise God for that sustains you for your days on this earth. It moves into the thing called divine life 
when somebody happens to brush up against you in a line in a supermarket and they had a problem in their body, power surges out of you into them because you're walking in the fullness of your redemption. Yes. Jesus noted that what? Virtue came out of him when a woman made a demand. Yes. Yeah, well, pastor, that's just crazy. We're not Jesus. No, but we're supposed to be anointed with the same spirit that he lived his life in and under. And if you're not careful, think, well, uh, if I'm, if I'm walking in health, then praise the Lord, I'm enjoying full redemption. Amen. From, from the curse, I'm walking in classic redemption. No. Not until we're doing what the disciples were told to do. Heal the sick. Cast out devils. <laughs> raise the dead. Freely you've received. Freely give. So what I'm saying is, yeah, I was redeemed by the blood of the Lamb the day I got born again. But have I walked in the fullness of that redemption? Well, it didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that you and I haven't yet. But can we? Can we be further down the road this year than we were last year? How about in the year of transformation, can we use our faith to get further down the road in the process of redemption than we've ever been before? Yeah, because the needs are everywhere we look. There's a crisis everywhere you look. There's somebody hurting everywhere you look. Amen. And, and let me be perfectly blunt here. The people that just believe in the process, not even the process of salvation, they believe in the event of salvation. They are not going to be dispensing divine life. They're not going to be laying hands on the sick and helping them recover. Why? Because they believe that's the full measure of church. Get them saved in an altar and then tell them the same story for the next 50 years. Have some potlucks, throw in some prayer for some salmonella, but have a potluck and a fellowship and that's church. No, we don't have the, uh, you know, the, the ability, really the liberty at this point to stop with just the event of our salvation. We need to grow. Say it with me. Salvation. Salvation. Justification. Justification. Adoption. Adoption. Sanctification. Sanctification. Impartation. Impartation. Redemption. Redemption. And glorification. glorification. Now, you and I know that what that means is we look back in time in the garden to what Adam and Eve looked like. (laughs) A couple of balls of light bouncing around. No sin, no disease, no war, no lack, no famine, nothing until sin came in. And when sin came in, the light went out. And what glorification is, is the restoration of the presence, power, and goodness of God that was lost the day that they sinned. Because you've been under the teaching of glorification, you most of you understand that glorification is not a one-time deal. In fact, it's, it's plain in Scripture, the full glorification of the body is not going to happen until when? Not until the resurrection. Or if you're here when he returns, the rapture, you'll be instantly translated into a glorified state. That doesn't mean we should sit back and wait for him to do it. We should be putting our faith pressure on the process of glorification now. Every day we're enjoying more of his presence. Can I have an amen? More of his power and more of his goodness. Do you see this? Now what we're going to do is we're going to take the time to sow seeds of faith so our people will grow in every one of these processes in the year of transformation. They're going to grow in their understanding of salvation, amen, and justification, and all the things we've talked about that are, that are special to us, things like impartation of the Holy Spirit. We have not gone where we need to go yet. Just you're filled with the Spirit, you speak in tongues, that's great. That is not the end of the road. That's just, that's just the start. You know, the upper room was the starting point. 
That wasn't the end. Amen. I just want to leave this with you tonight. What happens when the processes are not ongoing in our lives? Just write this down. And this isn't about you judging anyone else. This is not about you suffering somebody judging you. This is not about me judging you or anyone else. You need to be honest about where you are in these processes. Look at somebody and say, be honest about it. Nobody knows you better than you except for the Lord. And you'll ask the Holy Ghost so he can show you. But most of us can tell just by this short introduction where we are. We just need to be honest. But let's just say that we're not going to embrace this or we're just resistant to this. What do we lose when the processes are not ongoing in our lives? And this is just generality here. Let's say that you experience salvation, but there's no process of salvation in your life. You'll have no confidence of eternity from time to time, and you'll not increase in your wholeness. And God wants you to be every whit whole. Now, you may not realize this, but there are even fellowships in our town where the people week to week don't know if they're saved or not. Could you imagine? If you're good enough, if you do enough good works, if you live clean enough, if you take communion every week, you might just squeak into heaven. But the Bible tells us that we can know that we are saved. Now, you may take that for granted, but let's not take that for granted. Praise the Lord for that. But if you don't see it as a, as a process, then you will not say there's more to what he has promised than forgiveness of sins. That certainly is a wonderful thing, but there's more there. Everybody say wholeness. wholeness. The, uh, the lepers all got healed, but the Bible says the one that came back to thank him got a revelation. This is great, but I think I would like to be whole as well. They got healed. He got saved. He got every one of these processes started. He became whole. All they got was what? A physical healing outside the processes. Amen. Number two, let's say we're not engaging the justification processes. We're just kind of floating, you know, down the river. We will continue every day with a sin consciousness in our lives instead of a righteousness mentality. We'll always be the sinner saved by grace. But the Bible doesn't call you a sinner saved by grace. You know what the Bible calls you now? A saint. A saint. And say, so, well, I, I can't understand that because my tradition says that I have to have a miracle ascribed to my name and have to have a lifetime of service. And then, they, you know, the cardinals will have to vote. Are the miracles there? Is the, is the lifestyle there? It's not based on a group of cardinals or men telling you that you're good enough to be a saint. You became a saint when you were sanctified by the blood of the Lamb. Right? But you'd be amazed how many people sit in church and their mentality is sin consciousness all the time. And do you know what sin consciousness produces in a believer? More sin. The more consciously you are of sin, the more you will sin. The more conscious you are of righteousness, the more you'll live in a life empowered by that force of righteousness to go in a right direction. That's why we just can't see this as nice. Yeah, I was saved. I was justified. Praise the Lord. And we're just completely defeated because we still have a sin consciousness rather than a righteousness mentality. Number three, if you believe that you were adopted, but you've not engaged the adoption process, you're going to continue to have an orphan mentality. And you're going to live way below your privileges. Here's the bottom line. Raise your hand if you've ever given your life to Christ. You know that you started that process, you engaged the Lord, that you are not an orphan. That's right. 
You are not without a family. That's right. And your family is a lot bigger than this one. Yes, it is. That's right. And you have a seat at that table. That's right. And you are an heir. But if you don't engage the process, yeah, I'm adopted on paper. I know I'm going to heaven. I know God will accept you one day. But you know, that's just the way it is. I'll just have to wait for all that stuff. No, an adopted person becomes the legal heir of those who actually adopted him. Amen. Mm-hmm. Full-fledged. No one's going to argue with it. That's the way it is. And that's who you are today. But a lot of Christians don't even know what their inheritance is. Jeez. It's just heaven. Hey, it's wonderful. That's a big part of your inheritance. But uh, in God, there's no time or space. Do you know that this is part of his kingdom, just like that's part of his kingdom? Mm-hmm. When I get to the kingdom of God, then I'll tap into my inheritance. Let me explain this to you. You're already in the kingdom of God. It's Amen. Heaven is his throne. Mm-hmm. The earth is his footstool. Yes. The teaching that the earth is a garbage can is not scriptural. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He's made us not only heirs, but also stewards of it. And the reality is it's just a, it's just a consequence of sin that we see from earthquakes in Turkey to tsunamis, you know, in, in Asia. We, we see these things happening, and God hasn't authored any of them. It's just the impact of sin. Mm-hmm. Amen. Are you here today? Yes. yes. Um, if you don't engage the process, then what's going to happen is you're going to live far below your privileges. I'm hoping that maybe Mephibosheth, you know, said, okay, David, if you say so. Could you imagine Mephibosheth never showing up to dinner? Never taking possession of the lands of his great of his grandfather? Never taking back the assets that David provided? After David went through all that trouble to go find him. No, thank you. In false humility, I wouldn't want this. Understand this. Anytime you think you're being humble, but you're denying what God promised you, that's not humility, that's pride. We're famous for twisting things upside down on him. I don't know about you, but I kind of like to have everything that goes with adoption. Come on, say, I've got a name. I've got a father. I've got a home. I've got a seat at the table. Amen. And it's filled with every good thing. Amen. Enjoy what you have, but you can't if you think that it was just an instantaneous event and that's all I'm going to get. I'm adopted in the story. I go to heaven one day. No. The heart of the Father is that you live as a child of God. Amen. If you engage sanctification as an isolated event or incident, but you don't engage the process of sanctification, carnality is, is going to reign in your life. Um, it's not just you're sanctified because you got born again. God does expect you and I to become holier tomorrow than we were today. It's getting too quiet for a Pentecostal church when I talk about holiness. You should be saying, amen, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Where is the chandelier that I can swing from? This is good. <laughs> you want to know why this is important? Uh, carnality will block the flow of the anointing in you and through you. You must choose to be a vessel unto honor. That's not God's choice, that's our choice. And what goes in the vessel is the pure power of the anointing of God. We block our transformation when we don't listen to what he's telling us when he corrects us about something. It's a process. So this year in the year of transformation, y'all going to be more holy by December than you were last December. Glory. I really needed to try that over again because I didn't feel the agreement coming back at me very much. So I'm going to try it one more time. We're going to be more holy this December 
than we were last December. In our attitudes, in our actions, in our words, in our encounters with people. Amen. You say, well, we don't need to ever go into heaven. We've experienced the punctuated instant sanctification of God. There's no process. I don't have to worry about that. God loves me the way I am. I'm under grace. I don't have to change. Hogwash. That's not biblical grace. <laughs> Doc Barkley was talking about, uh, he was preaching in his church. And of course, he travels all over the world as well. But he also pastors and he was preaching. And uh, he left the church. And uh, he said, uh, this, this car drove by and the passenger gave him the international sign of displeasure. <laughs> and he thought, that wasn't very nice at all. So he decided he's going to rev up and drive up next to him and find out who did that to him. And so he would speed up and the other car, apparently Barris, would speed up. And then he would speed up and they would speed up, finally caught up with him. And it was a lady who just left his church. <laughs> and he said, you could see, you could read her lips. Oh, my God. And she, he said, I hope they can read my lips. My office now. <laughs> Just left church and given the preacher the finger. There's some work need to be done. And that person's sanctification. Apparently, they think they've already got it. And that's part of the problem. Anybody here could grow and become more like Christ? Anybody? Okay. Be careful who you give the finger to. Is that the moral of the story? No, that's not the moral of the story. <laughs> the moral of the story is don't live a life where you think that you would even do something like that. And if you do, then repent. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I want to know if she ever came back to the church. That's what I want to know. <laughs> And I have his phone number, and I'm going to ask. <laughs> and I'll give you the rest of the story. <laughs> Amen. If you don't engage the process, and you'll be carnal, limited, powerless. Uh, one of the best things I ever heard Creflo say in my life, he said, sin makes cowards of men. If you don't embrace this, you're going to be cowardly, backward, timid, intimidated. Does that make sense? If you engage the event of impartation, you've gotten baptized in the Holy Ghost and you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking other tongues. No compromise here. I didn't stutter. I'm not going to make excuses for it. Jesus told his church to tarry in Jerusalem, amen, until they were endued with power from on high. Out of 500 or so witnesses who saw him with their own eyes raised from the dead, only 120 showed up. This problem has been in the church from the very beginning. But at that moment in time, 100% of the church was baptized in the Holy Ghost. The problem is, religiously, we see it as a one-time event and not a process of continued growth and development. What am I saying? I'm saying that we can be more spirit-filled next week than we are today. And we should want that. You say, well, what if I see it as an event and not as a process? Well... Your life and ministry is going to be bound to what you can do in the natural. Do you know that the baptism connects you to the supernatural? Yes, it, it adds super to your natural. You're not limited to your thoughts, your wisdom, your ability, your power. You can, it's great to show compassion when people are hurting, but how many know this generation needs to see a demonstration of the power of God? Not just words. 
You can't do that. If you, well, back in 1945, I was baptized in the Holy Ghost and I spoke in tongues for two hours, praise the Lord, glory to God. And every once in a while when I get a goosebump in a church service, I might just pray in the Holy Ghost for a prayer time. But you know what? Generally speaking, I've got it all. No, you don't. You could have been growing all those decades in the development of that spirit-filled life. Yes, amen. What happens is you're, you're bound to a life in the natural. You say, that's not fair, I'm spirit-filled. If you're not living the spirit-filled life, you can't enjoy the benefits of the spirit-filled life. You say, that's not a problem, Pastor. Let me, let me help you out here. In 2000, I did research within one spirit-filled organization, the Assemblies of God. And what I found out was that only out of, a, out of 100 converts, only 14 of them are receiving the Holy Ghost. This is an organization that teaches and believes as a cardinal doctrine in the baptism, and only 14% are getting baptized in the Holy Ghost. Now, our church is always much higher than that because you get what you preach. That's it. Amen. Say it with me. I get, I get what I preach. You get what you preach in your own life. But I want you to think about that. What's the difference between that and a church that doesn't believe and has a smattering of people filled with the Spirit anyway? Not only are we not engaging in the process, more and more people are moving away from the actual event when it started in your life. I'm saying you need both. That Lutheran pastor, guess what? He had received it and he was growing in it. And it made a difference in his life and the people that he actually shepherded and pastored. Amen. Same thing for you and for me. What if I don't engage redemption as a process and see it just as an event? I'm going to have parts of the curse creeping and lingering in my life. I don't know about you, but I'm fed up with it. How many are fed up with the curse? Yes. Oh, I'm a Christian. I don't have a curse. I didn't say you had a curse. You've been redeemed from the curse. I'm talking about you have to grow in the process of redemption. And when something tries to come on you, you just don't say, well, I guess that's the way it is. That's life. No, you resist. That's right. You fight. You stand on the Word of God. When spiritual death tries to visit you and try to discourage you and take you out, when sickness, disease tries to discourage you and take you out, when poverty like tries to come on you, you fight, you resist. Yes. Watch this. The devil's goal in your life every single day is to get you in a position of non-resistance to his activity. And that's not going to happen if you see redemption as a process. Say it with me. I'm redeemed, but I'm also growing in my redemption. And I won't spend a lot of time on the on seven glorification process, but I don't know about you, but if I see it just as a one-time event and not a process, I'm going to continue placing limits and breaks on my life that God didn't put there. I don't know about you, but I don't need less of His presence. I need more of His presence. I don't need less of His power. I need more of His power. I don't need less of His goodness. How did this service transition tonight? Singing about what? The goodness of God. The, the presence, the glory of God is the restoration of the manifested presence, power, and goodness of God. Um, if you've been under good teaching, you know that sanctification is not over the day you got born again. If you sat in our series on glorification, you already understand this is a process. Yes. But a lot of people have not been able to, to go over that. So if you want to get a head start, you can go to our website. All those teachings are there. But the bottom line is, we're going to keep going from glory to glory to glory to glory. Then one day, he's going to what? Trump's going to sound. Amen? The dead in Christ are going to rise first. 
And we which remain are going what? We're going up with him. And guess what will happen at that moment in time? There won't be any more process. There will be no more process of salvation. No more process of justification. No more process of sanctification. No more process of impartation. No more process of glorification. You will be fully glorified. You will be like he is. As you see him in the transfiguration, that's what you're going to look like. Hope you all like white clothes. Won't need no Clorox. Praise the Lord. You know, the dirt can't survive with that kind of glory constantly shining. And you don't need a power company, gas, you don't need fossil fuels. Why? Because the Lord is the source of the light. Amen. Can you see this? So how many of you can make a demand, not only just the event, but on the process? Say this with me as you close your eyes and meditate on this. Say this to the Lord. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have Bible processes that transform our lives. I thank you for the new birth. But I understand you have far more work to do in me and through me than just my personal salvation. Say it, I believe these processes will transform me this year and every year. They are instantaneous. And they're also continual. They're instantaneous and they're also progressive. In Jesus' name, I'm using my faith to walk in the fullness of my salvation, justification, adoption, sanctification, impartation, redemption, and glorification. In Jesus' name, I am growing. By faith, I declare I am growing like I never have before in Jesus' name. Come on, shout it out. I am being transformed from faith to faith, victory to victory, joy to joy, and glory to glory in Jesus' name. Come on, give me a hand clap and thank you for it.